It's great to worship together, and we gather this Sunday as the last Sunday before Palm Sunday and Easter and that holy week that's going to be so special. And this week, as we've been walking our way through the Gospel of John, we're going to continue that in chapter 11. And we're doing that story of Lazarus, which is a very familiar story to many of us of how Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead. But in that story is this one verse that just struck me. And it's the verse that where Lazarus' two sisters separately, Mary and Martha, come to Jesus and they say to him exactly word for word the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I wonder if we've ever said the same kind of thing to God. God, if only you would listen to my prayer, this wouldn't have happened. And I wonder if you have situations in your life where you've prayed for things and they just haven't happened. Or you've wished for things, perhaps, and hadn't quite got around to praying for them, and they hadn't happened. Or if you just believed something and it hadn't happened. And the question comes, how do we handle that? What is God trying to teach us? What is the answer to their the two sisters' comment, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we're going to look at that this morning, and so let's pray as we do. Father God, we just pray this morning that you would help us to understand sometimes the unexpected waiting that we go through. That you would help us to understand what John is trying to teach us through the story of Lazarus. And Father God, we pray as we prepare ourselves for Palm Sunday and Holy Week. Father God, we pray, help us to understand what you are doing in our lives. A little bit better, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week is Palm Sunday. We're looking forward to that. John divides his book roughly in half. Uh, the first 12 chapters are all about leading up to Palm Sunday. They're all about the signs. They're all about the, the miracles. They're all about the Jesus saying, I am. It's all about Jesus uh, talking to the people. But from Palm Sunday on, from chapter 13 to chapter 21 at the end of the book, that's just Jesus with his disciples. And it covers from Thursday of right before Good Friday in Jesus' life to Easter. So the last half of the book covers these four days, roughly, and then a couple of appearances after that when he's resurrected. And so today is, is getting close to the end of this first half of the chapter. Uh, this book is called the Book of Signs. It's, it's, the, it's the half of the book that's really wrapped around Jesus trying to present himself to the Jewish people as their Messiah. And on Palm Sunday, they will reject him. And then on Good Friday, they will reject him completely. And he will die on the cross. And so this is the last story that John puts in his gospel before the Palm Sunday story. Now, he also includes the story of the anointing of Jesus by Mary. But that is tied to, to the Palm Sunday story, as we'll see next week. John has had so many poetic elements that we haven't looked at. I mean, we've spent since Christmas in this book, and we could spend the rest of the year. We haven't looked at the I am sayings. Uh, John has seven of those. I am the good shepherd. I am 
the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And he often ties that in with seven signs or seven miracles that Jesus performed. I am the bread of life after he feeds the 5,000. I am the light of the world after he heals the blind man. Some of them he doesn't tie together. You know, when he turns the water into wine, there's no I am saying. I am the champagne of life or the baby duck of life or whatever it is that would be the fitting thing there. But in this story of Lazarus, he ties together the three things that he's been weaving together throughout his gospel. We've said that John is trying to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, especially in the uh, feasts like the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dedication. He is the I am sayings. I am being the words that God introduced himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. And through these miracles that show God's power coming in. And all of those weave together in the story of Lazarus. So let's just take a look. We get the context out of the previous chapter in John 10, chapter 40. It says, Jesus went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. You remember that was a quiet, deserted place. And many came to him there and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him. So Jesus has pulled back out of Jerusalem. After he healed the blind man, uh, they decided they wanted to kill him. And he needed to get away because he knew that his time had not yet come. And so he goes back into the desert, and it's while he's there that Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus, who is sick, send word for Jesus, could he come? Because their family is in dire need. And so we pick up in verse 1 of the chapter. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Now this is the first and only time we hear of Lazarus, really. He's not in any other Gospels. This, this uh, uh, passage only appears in John. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, which actually will happen in the next chapter. So we'll see that next week. John kind of skips that in, out of sequence here. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Uh, you caught that, right? He loved Lazarus, he loved Martha, he loved Mary, and so he doesn't come when they ask him to get there quickly. Here's Lazarus, their brother whom they love, sick on the point of death, and they send word to Jesus, you got to come. They don't say why. Um, I think they're hoping for a miracle that he would heal him, but at the very least, come and mourn with us. And they're expecting Jesus to come immediately. And yet John is very, very clear. He waits two days. And when Jesus arrives, the two sisters both come to him, as we said, as we started. And they both say word for word the same thing, perhaps a little accusingly. It's hard to read it without that. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then the friends of the family gather around. 
And they say, hey, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And of course they're right. Jesus healed people. Jesus had all kinds of power to do that. They're right. If he had come, if he had been there, he could have saved Lazarus's life. He healed blind men, lame men, lepers, demoniacs, but he doesn't heal Lazarus. And I just sort of wonder, you ever experienced that? God doesn't do what we ask him to or expect him to or demand him to. We pray for a healing or we pray for a job or we pray for a relationship and the answer doesn't come. At least it doesn't come at the time we ask for or in the way we ask for. Which leads us to our natural response, which is the second point this morning. If the first one is death, the second one is mourning. When Jesus came, it says in verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, literally two miles away across the Mount of Olives. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And, and the natural response of all the people in this story is one of mourning. There's crying and there's lament. There's probably a lot of blame that's flying around as well. If you had been here, things would have been different. If you hadn't have gone away, if you hadn't have stayed so long, if you'd have got here earlier. Uh, in Jewish thought, the spirit kind of stayed around the body for three days. And uh, the hope of anyone coming back to life in any form died after three days in the heat and in everything else of that country. Uh, there was no hope for a body that had been, you know, more than three days uh, deceased. And so the fourth day was just a complete, there is no hope left. Now, not biblical, the three days with the spirit thing, just what they believed. But even in their belief about that, it's beyond that. And there's this unexpected waiting. And I think when we go through that, we go doing exactly the same thing. We begin to mourn and we begin to blame. If only you had listened. If only you were here. If only you loved me more. Then things would be different. You ever done that? I know I have. And so this story resonates well with me. And what Jesus does, he comes in the midst of death and he comes in the midst of mourning and he brings hope. And that's our third point this morning, that there is hope. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. I think that's one of the most incredible scenes of John. It's Jesus coming 
into this village. And Martha, knowing he's coming, runs out to meet him because she wants a word with him before everybody else sees he's there. And he, she comes up to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she very reverently, but very directly, which sort of suggests the personality of Martha to me at least, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, maybe when you read that, you kind of think, well, that's not really a lot of faith. You know, here she is at Jesus' feet, and she's blaming him for what he didn't do. And you kind of think Mary and Martha, these two sisters, we know of the, another story where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet just taking in everything he says while Martha's busy in the kitchen doing stuff. And you think, well, yeah, well, Mary's the spiritual one. Martha's the one that just, you know, is very task-oriented. So she comes and tells Jesus he's slipping up on his tasks. But a little bit later, Mary will come to Jesus as well, and she will say word for word the same thing. So it's not one of them is more spiritual than the other. They're both hurting people who in their mourning come to Jesus and just pour it out on him. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe in who I am? And the most amazing thing to me is I think Martha has the clearest faith statement in the entire Gospel of John. Nicodemus comes and he's trying to figure out and Nicodemus is this Pharisee who's one of the religious leaders and he's trying to figure out Jesus. Uh, Peter will say, hey, you know, I'll never, never uh, deny you or I'll never betray you or I'll never do anything like that. And the leader of the disciples, you know, is the one that will betray, will deny him. One of his disciples, Judas, will betray him. But Mary has this or Martha has this immense statement of faith there. Martha responds, I think, with the clearest statement of faith of anybody in this gospel. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And she calls him both the Christ, which is Greek for Messiah, and she calls him the Son of God. She's done far better than Nicodemus the Pharisee, Peter the disciple. Uh, she has even done better than Mary, her sister, will do who has no equivalent statement of faith to Jesus. So you've got death, and you've got loss, and you've got mourning, and you've got Jesus promising hope, but it's a little bit vague, and it's a little bit unsure of when that hope is going to come because Lazarus is dead. And the question comes, how do you handle unexpected waiting? How do you handle unanticipated loss? How do you handle things when God doesn't respond the way you think he should? When God doesn't answer our prayers as directed? And I think this is the, the crucial part of this, is if you have mourning and you have Jesus giving hope, I think the, the reality is we are expected to have hope in the midst of mourning. Uh, just keep reading. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
word for word the same. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now, we love that verse because it's two, verses, two words long. And if you want to memorize a verse of Scripture, it's John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. But it's also this, this idea that Jesus, who is God, Jesus, who understands all things, Jesus, who says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, even he is mourning. And, and I think the, the understanding of that comes in a letter that Paul writes to a little church over in a place called Thessalonica. It's a little town in Greece. And he writes to this church. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That you do not grieve as others do who have no hope. And I think one of the things we've lost as Christians is the realization that it's okay to feel loss, that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to mourn. When death comes, it's okay to acknowledge that we've lost someone, that we've lost someone special, that there is now an empty space at the table, that there's an empty space in our lives. And that we can experience that loss emotionally. I mean, everyone, including Jesus, was crying at the tomb of Lazarus. But what Paul is saying in there, which I think is so crucial, is that we do not mourn as those who have no hope. In other words, what we often need to hear as Christians is that it is okay to mourn. It is okay to experience loss. It is okay when someone moves away to another place to say, I miss them, and I wish they hadn't. It's okay to say when we didn't get the job, I miss that, and I wish I'd got it. It's okay to mourn and to experience loss. But we need to do it while still keeping hope in the future, while still trusting in God. And, you know, I just know because I'm, I'm leaving that, you know, you may not get this both and as much as you're going to need it without me here. But let's get one last both and in at least. We need both mourning and hope. We need both grief and hope. And in the double negative, what Paul is saying is that we need to mourn and have hope at the same time. That there is a need to experience both. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there is loss. There are dark times that we go through. And it is not only okay. It is necessary to experience loss emotionally. We mourn. And too often, I think, the church tells us not to. Too often we think, well, you know, if we were believers, we would just trust God and everything would be good and we'd know that there was nothing to mourn about. Well, Don and I were at a funeral one time. It was a, another couple we knew and their six-month-old baby had died of SIDS. And we went to their funeral of this child 
and the music was upbeat. The couple danced in, literally, down the aisle. It was this upbeat service of celebration. There was no tears. There was no mourning. There was no sorrow. There was no loss. And it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right because in this world there's loss. When a six-month-old baby dies, there has to be some sense of loss in that. They weren't able to mourn. But I think what the Bible says is we need to have both. We need to have trust and hope in the future. We need to believe that God is working all things together for good. We need to believe that, that God is still present. But we also need to experience the both and of the mourning and the grief and the sorrow. Because the last thing, the final point this morning, is that with God, the last word is always life. Verse 37, some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And he said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. And I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him. Let him go. In this wonderful story of Lazarus, it ends with Lazarus being resurrected, coming back from the dead. Now, it would be awesome in our lives if every prayer we prayed that didn't get answered at the moment we prayed it always ended that way too. If our loved ones who we had prayed for but passed away came back from the dead, if that job we had prayed for that we didn't get suddenly reappeared, if our families who had gone off the rails were suddenly completely healed and there was no long-term damage. But we know that's not the case, right? We know that not everything gets answered that way. And the question comes at the end of this, well, what do we do with that? Yeah, it's great to say you mourn and you have hope at the same time, but, but where's the hope come from? And I want to suggest to you that the hope comes from three things. And with this, we'll close out this morning. First thing, Jesus says that all of this happened for God's glory. And somehow God will be glorified through what happens, especially if we're able to give him the glory by having hope in the midst of this. By having this balance of mourning and hope. See, I think it brings glory in the eyes of God to other people. If they can see us experience life and experience it fully, but not lose hope in that. 
If it doesn't seem like we're Pollyanna-ish, where everything is just going to be okay. But we acknowledge, no, it's a fallen world. There's, there's stuff that goes wrong. There's loss here. And we acknowledge that that hurts. But we don't lose hope in God. That God will be glorified through this. But secondly, we know that in eternity, which is just simply our word for whatever happens after this life, God will raise our loved ones from the dead. That there will be in eternity a making things right. One of the reasons we have hope is not only that that we want God to, to be glorified with the people around us, but, but we believe that, that in the end it will all be made right. Which leads us to the third point, because is that enough that when we die it will be made right? What about in this life? Does nothing get made right in this life? Do we just experience loss and we have this hope for then, but no hope for now? And I think that's the difference between Lazarus and Jesus on Easter Sunday. I've always wrestled with, was Lazarus resurrected? And I don't want to use that word, because I think Lazarus was brought back to life. But when Jesus is resurrected, it's not the same body. When Lazarus is Brought back to life, he will get sick and he will die at some point. When Jesus comes resurrected back to us, it's in a new body that will never die. And we'll look at that on Easter Sunday. But Paul says in Romans, all things work together for good. And it doesn't mean that all things work together without pain that all things work together without loss, that all things work together, you know, just everything just gets reversed. Often it means that there's loss, that there's death, that there's broken relationship, that there's disappointment. But what it means is that that's not the end. God will stand at the tomb as Jesus did with Lazarus, and he will say, come out. And there will be a resurrection of our hope. I'm trying to figure out how to put this, but here's what it is. With Lazarus, it was a coming back to life of the old. And that's what we pray for so often, right? God, I, I, I want this person not to die so that I can just have them the way they are, which might be sick and old and infirm and all kinds of things. Lord, I, I want this job, and, you know, it's the right one, but we know that, you know, in time, maybe it's not. I, I want my family, whatever, and, you know, maybe it's the answer to that prayer, but it's not the answer to the end. With Lazarus, what we're praying is, Lord, if you had answered my prayer, then then none of this would have happened. And, and here's the last point today. I think what Jesus is saying to us 
is Lazarus is pointing forward to Jesus' resurrection. And in Jesus' resurrection, it's not a coming back of the old. It's the breaking in of the new. And I think what God is saying to us is that what God wants to do in our lives is not just continue the old, but through this loss and through this hope and through this resurrection, he wants to break in with something new. And sometimes we see that. Often we don't. But when we pray and ask God to, to be involved in that, we release his power to be involved, then God breaks in in a fresh way. And even though it doesn't look that way to us all the time, as it didn't look that way to Mary and Martha and all the people there, God is beginning to do something new. And the promise of the story of Lazarus, which ties into the promise of the story of Easter, is that God has waited and he has allowed the loss to happen because he wants to do something new and fresh. Jesus, the sister said, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Jesus, if you had been here, this would not have happened. But I think this morning what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us What he's whispering in your heart right now. If this thing, whatever it is, had not died, the new could not come. That God is at work. Working all things together for good in a way that sometimes causes pain and sorrow and mourning. But not without hope because we know God is at work bringing glory to himself in eternity, making all things right. But I believe in this, whatever it is this is, also beginning to birth something new, something fresh, something that could only come about if there was room for it. And the hope that I have in the midst of all this is that God is at work not only just in eternity, but God is at work here and now, beginning something new, something that he can bless, something that will make a difference for his glory and for eternity, but even today, even now, even here. And so, Father God, this morning we thank you for the way you are at work in our lives. Father, sometimes we come to you and say, if you had been here this, but deep in our hearts, we know that you're here. Your presence is always with us, and your presence is throughout this world. Father, you are working new things for your glory. Father, as we experience loss, we pray for your comfort. We know you mourn alongside of us as you wept at the grave of Lazarus. 
But Father, we also know that you are at work doing new things. And in that hope, we walk forward. Father, give us faith to believe that you are at work in our lives, making all things new. And Father God, we just pray. Comfort each one this morning who needs your comfort. May they feel your arms of love wrapped around them. May they experience your love in tangible ways. Father, give us sensitivity to those who need your touch today. And Father, may we bring not only a sympathy, but also a hope that you are indeed at work and that you're doing something new, that there can be a resurrection. And so, Father God, we pray, be with us in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.